the evidence of the eyewitness testimony within the Gospels is overwhelming. There is no doubt that the modern church in America has failed its people by not teaching them the earliest stages of church history. Apostolic succession paved the way to preserve the New Testament text. Good evening on this Sunday evening special episode. We don't usually do them on Sunday, but I had a lot of content that I want to put out in addition to the one I just released on Ephesians as to whether or not it was a Pauline forgery that has been released yesterday and it is already doing very, very well on the download. So if you've missed that one, make sure you go back and check it out. Today, we're doing a special episode on a claim. A claim from Eusebius, but he's not the only one that has claimed this. And recently I received a text message from a friend of mine, uh, Tyler West, and he sent me the statement or sent me the reality that Eusebius did mention that Jesus actually wrote a letter to somebody. And it was actually not really him writing it as, as much as him responding to an original letter by sending another letter in response. But Nonetheless, it is reported in history as being true. So one of the things that Eusebius claimed is this story, which I'm going to share with you. But then at the same time, Eusebius also believed it himself. He actually did not believe it was fake or a forgery. He actually believed it was authentic based on his research. And there's going to be a reality that we have to deal with in this episode. Some of this may be true. Some of this may not be true. Some of this may be far-fetched and some of this may be partially correct. Regardless of where somebody lands on this, I do not believe there can be dogmatic approach for or against it or partially for or partially against it. I think that there's so many holes that we just don't have in history to fill, but it is unique interesting and worthy of acknowledgement. And that is why I'm doing an episode of it this evening. Now, in the initial statements of Eusebius, he states in the beginning of chapter 13, and it's a section that's about a narrative concerning the prince or the king of Edessa. And he states this, he says, the divinity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, being reported abroad among all men on account of his wonder working power, he attracted countless numbers from foreign countries lying far away from Judea, who had the hope of being cured of their diseases, all kinds of sufferings. Now, this is not uh, just independent of itself on that reality that people were attracted to who Jesus was that people were interested in who he was. We saw Greeks in John's gospel, for example. Um, they, they told the disciples, we want to see Jesus. There were people who were interested in Jesus from afar. Now, this would be extremely far out in relation to some of the ones that we see in the gospels, but there's no doubt that Gentiles were interested in Jesus. Some of them sought after Jesus. But here, uh, he tells us that people learn the reputation of Jesus from afar off. And he gives a for instance. He mentions King Abgar. And he mentions that he was ruling in his area of Edessa with great glory. 
beyond the Euphrates, but he had been afflicted with a disease and that multiple doctors, multiple people had tried to give him some sort of cure through medicine or herbs and, and nothing became of it. And he had heard of Jesus and he heard of his miracles and he'd heard people in his area attest to the fact that they had seen people healed and even the dead raised. But he did not at that time go along with this um, to the point where he actually went to Jerusalem himself or sought after Jesus himself. He sent a messenger. Now, what we end up finding is he wrote a letter, sent a message looking for Jesus. And we have reported for us in some copies, and specifically the one that Eusebius had and translated, about what he said to Jesus and what Jesus said to him. And I want to read the words to you. Agbar, Abgar, ruler of Edessa, to Jesus, the good physician, who has appeared in the country of Jerusalem. Greetings. I have heard the reports of you and of your cures as performed by you without medicines or herbs. For it is said that you make the blind to see and the lame to walk, that you cleanse lepers and cast out impure spirits and demons, and that you heal those afflicted with lingering diseases, and you even raise the dead. And having heard all these things concerning you, I have concluded that one of two things must be true. Either you are God, and having come down from heaven, you do these things, or else who does these things are the Son of God. I have therefore written to you to ask you if you would take the trouble to come to me and heal all the ill which I suffer. For I have heard that the Jews are murmuring against you and are plotting to injure you, injure you, but I have a very small yet noble city which is great enough for the both of us. So just in the initial reaction here, Abgar is stating that he has heard of the reputation of Jesus producing quite a few of his miracles. So this would have been later. And then we see that there's murmurings of the Jews that are against him. So this would have been later on in Jesus's ministry, not early on, probably toward the very end and maybe even before his arrest and his crucifixion. Now, what he states here is that if he wants to change locations, feel free to come to his area in Edessa, that there's enough room for him to share in their greatness together. But he also wants to be healed of some long-term illness, which is consistently inflicted him. And it's unique that he stated that part of his reality that he has come to accept is you're either God or possibly he believed him to be a God or you're a son of God, the son of God or a son of the gods. One of one way or another in his mindset, his pagan mindset, that perhaps had been what he had really come to conclude about Jesus. Either you're God himself or the son of a God, one or the other. Now, according to Eusebius, Jesus gave a response, a written letter in return by the messenger to Abgar. And this is how it reads. 
Blessed are you who have believed in me without seeing me. For it is written concerning me that they who have seen me will not believe in me, and that they who have not seen me will believe and be saved. But in regard to what you have written, that I should come to you, it is necessary for me to fulfill all the things here for which I have been sent. And after I have fulfilled them, thus to be taken up again to him that sent me. But after I have been taken up, I will send you one of my disciples, that he may heal your disease and give life to you and your family. Now, this is an extraordinary thing that is being claimed here. Now, this is Jesus apparently have written back. Now, it does not state whether Jesus penned it with his own hand or actually dictated it to a scribe. But Jesus produces this writing to Abgar and states, my journey and calling is here. And I must fulfill the work that I've been called to do here. But when I am done doing the work here and I've ascended back to him who sent me, I will send one of my disciples to heal you and give you life for you and your family. So he's offering him physical healing and spiritual salvation, but it will not come by his hand, but a disciple to whom he will send. Now, when it comes to the validity of this, the one thing that became reality is we do not just have to depend on Eusebius for this letter. So let's talk about the historical data that we do have of this letter itself. To this present day, we do, uh, we do possess a Syriac text. Now, according to Eusebius, he was translating this from a Syriac text. But we do not just have a Syriac text, although we do. We also have an Armenian translation as well. And then there's two independent Greek translations, which perhaps it would have been written originally in Greek. We don't know. We don't know if this was originated in Greek or in Aramaic. We don't know. I would imagine with a leader in Edessa, the origination would have been in Greek. Uh, that would seem to make the most sense to me. It would have been more of a universal language between Jesus and Jerusalem. Uh, and, and he being in Edessa would make more sense that he would be there. So we do have a, a manuscript in Syriac, just probably similar to what Eusebius had in his own possession. Now, Eusebius claims that he found this manuscript when it was in the archives of Edessa. So when investigating other things, investigating the work there that was done by the churches in Edessa, this manuscript in Syriac came up in the archives, the collection that the church had continued to maintain, and he wanted to publish it when he did the history of the church. But it is not this one single manuscript. Now there's an Armenian manuscript that we have and two independent Greek manuscripts. But those, now let me say this. The Greek manuscripts are apparently shorter than the others. Uh, they're shorter than the Syriac. But it is not just these manuscripts that we have. We also have other attestations. Egeria, which was a woman in the Western part of Europe, she was a Christian woman 
who is widely known for authoring an account of her pilgrimage to the Holy Land of Israel, somewhere between 381 and 386, not long after Eusebius. Now, in the long letter that she wrote about her journey and pilgrimage to Jerusalem, she gives historical details about her journey. Now, she wrote of a letter that she had found while she also went in her journey through Edessa, and it's the same letter. She read the letter during her stay in Edessa and made statement in her pilgrimage writings that the copy that she had read in Edessa was fuller than the copies that she had at home. So it's very possible that when she went to Edessa, she found something very similar, if not the same thing, that was received by Eusebius. It could be that she had a Greek copy in her portion of being home in, in Western Europe, that she had a Greek copy <clears throat> that was just like some of the ones that have survived today. That is a shorter version from the Syriac, because she said the one she had seen in Edessa was fuller than the copy that she had. So maybe more details, maybe uh, more landmarks or statements or salutation. There's no description that says what was fuller and what was not. But here's a woman who is regarded as writing a great detailed account of a pilgrimage that she took that we have a copy of to this day. And in that, she's stating that she too had seen this writing in Edessa. Now, this is independent of Eusebius' statement. So Eusebius states it. This woman, Egeria, states it. We have other manuscripts in other languages like Greek and Armenian stating that this is a writing. So from a historical perspective, there is reason to believe this did exist. Now, whether or not Jesus himself penned it is another story. Now, let me tell you the rest of the story and what happened, according to Eusebius, that, that she does not fill in, that Egeria does not fill in, but Eusebius does. And then I'll actually discuss whether or not it's possible the event happened. Now, let me just say this. From a manuscript perspective, this story had to have originated before 300 A.D., even if it's a forgery, even if it's a fake, even if it's some sort of setup, it could not have existed before Eusebius. The churches of Edessa had this in their archives. Now, the churches did collect other data. They had listings. They had apocryphal works. Uh, they had liturgy readings. Uh, they also had historical writings back and forth. And then they also maintained letters that were helpful or encouraging or edifying. They, they maintained other works. We talked about this with the writings of Clement and Polycarp and others. These would have been a part of the church's archives as well. They did not receive heretical works and keep them. So this letter would not have been a part of some heretical schism. They would not have kept that in the archives. So whether this goes back to Jesus himself or not is yet to be seen. 
But we do have reason to believe this was a letter that was circulated in that region. And we have other translations of it to also affirm that. Now, let's read the rest of the story by Eusebius. So we have this letter, this response from Jesus. <clears throat> and then he further explains what happened. Eusebius further explains what happened. To these epistles, being the writing uh, itself, going back to Abgar, to Jesus, and Jesus back to Abgar, there was added the following account in the Syriac language. Now, what he's stating is that this was also an additional information that came in after these. After the ascension of Jesus, Judas, who is also called Thomas, <clears throat> sent to him Thaddeus, an apostle, one of the 70. And now that 70 is in reference to the number that Luke has provided for us in the Gospel of Luke. Because remember, you have 12 apostles. There were other eyewitnesses that were there. We, we've talked about that with Papias's work with Aristion and John the Elder. Uh, whether or not this is Thaddeus the Apostle, which has been attested a lot of times to potentially Judas, not Iscariot, whether or not it's one of the 12 and one of the 70, Thomas sending one of the 70 who's not of the 12 or sending Thaddeus who is of the 12, it's kind of confusing. Either way, it's an eyewitness of Jesus. It's one of the 70 who is with Jesus by the name of Thaddeus. Now, Thaddeus apparently was sent and went on a mission to the city of Edessa. When he had come and lodged with a man named Tobias, when the report of him was abroad, it was told to Abgar that an apostle of Jesus had as he had written to him. Now, since it says apostle there, I take that to be Thaddeus, one of the 12. And I do think it would probably be Judas, not Iscariot, mentioned only by that name in John's gospel. Now, whether or not that is him or not, it is an eyewitness who had been with Jesus, commissioned by Jesus. He had reached Edessa and stayed with a man named Tobias. Thaddeus began then in the power of God to heal every disease and infirmity inasmuch that all wondered. And when Abgar heard of the great and wonderful things which he did and the cures which he had performed, he began to be suspect that he was the one of whom Jesus had written to him saying, after I had been taken up and will send to you one of my disciples who will heal you. Therefore, summoning Tobias, with whom Thaddeus lodged, he said, I have heard that a certain man of power has come and is in lodging in your house. Bring him to me. And Tobias coming to Thaddeus said to him, the ruler, Abgar, summoned me and told me to bring you to him that you might heal him. And Thaddeus said, I will go, for I have been sent to him with power. Tobias therefore arose early on the following day and taking Thaddeus, came to Abgar, and when he came, the nobles were present and stood about Abgar. And immediately upon his entrance, a great vision appeared to Abgar in the countenance of the apostle Thaddeus. When Abgar saw it, he prostrated himself before Thaddeus, while all those who stood about were astonished. For they did not see the vision, which appeared to Abgar alone. Then he asked Thaddeus if he were in truth a disciple of Jesus, the Son of God, 
who said to him, I will send you one of my disciples who will heal you and give you life. Thaddeus said, because you have mightily believed in him that sent me, therefore I have been sent to you. And still further, if you believe in him, the petitions of your heart shall be granted to you as you believe. And Agbar said to him, so much have I believed in him that I wish to take an army and destroy those Jews who crucified him. Had I not been deterred from it by reason of the dominion of the Romans. Now I'm going to get to that in a minute. I think there's a historical reason to accept at least this portion. And Thaddeus said, our Lord has fulfilled the will of his father. And having fulfilled it, it has been taken up to his father. And Abgar said to him, I too have believed in him and his father. And Thaddeus said to him, therefore, I place my hand upon you in his name. And when he had done it, immediately Abgar was cured of the disease and of the suffering which he had had. And Abgar marveled that he had heard concerning Jesus. So he had received a very deed through his disciple Thaddeus, who healed him without medicine or herbs. And not only him, but also Abdus, who is afflicted with gout. For he too came to him and fell at his feet. And having received a benediction by the imposition of his hands, he was healed. The same Thaddeus cured also many of the other inhabitants of the city and did wonders and marvelous works and preached the word of God to them. And afterward, Abgar said, You, O Thaddeus, do these things with the power of God, and we marvel. But in addition to these things, I pray you to inform me in regards to the coming of Jesus, how he was born. In what regard to his power, by what power he performed the deeds, which we have heard. And Thaddeus said, now indeed will I keep silence, since I have been sent to proclaim the word publicly. But tomorrow assemble for me all of your citizens, and I will preach in their presence, and so among them the word of God concerning the coming of Jesus, how he was born, his mission, what purpose he was sent by the Father, and concerning the power of his works and the mysteries which he proclaimed in the world, and by what power he did these things, and concerning his new preaching and his abasement and humiliation, and how he humbled himself and died and debased his divinity and was crucified and descended into Hades and burst in the bars from eternity and had not been broken and raised from the dead, for he descended alone but rose with many and thus ascended to his Father. And so what ended up happening is the next day Abgar did that. The people came and he preached the gospel to the city of Edessa. And because of that, many came to faith. And Abgar became a Christian. So the churches began to collect and save apparently the writings and the story and the letters that corresponded back and forth. So Jesus came through on his promise. Now what's interesting to me here is the, the idea of this healing and and how angry Abgar was at the Jews for killing Jesus so much so that he told Thaddeus, he's like, I, I had contemplated raising an army and going into Jerusalem and fighting the Jews over this. They killed such a great man, an innocent man, a man that was like God or God himself or the son of God. And Thaddeus said, listen, look, God his father did this on purpose. He allowed this and used it. But don't worry. He's not dead. He went down into the bars of death in Hades, Hades itself. 
and rose from the dead. And he has given me the power and the message that has come to you to heal you. I'm coming on behalf of him who sent me because he's alive. And Agbar, Abgar, believed in him. He believed in Jesus, became a Christian. And this became a very sweet and delightful time for the church to be started there with a ruler who came to Christianity. Here's why we have a lot of reason to believe at least this man, Abgar V, did truly become a Christian. So, according to the historian Moses Karantansi, He's an Armenian historian. He said that people have argued the authenticity of another letter, but scholars have actually accepted it. And it's a correspondence between Abgar V and a letter to Tiberius, a Roman leader. Now, Tiberius sent a message back, and there are people that actually believe that there is actually a work. So, Scholars have stated this. The work seems to preserve very ancient material, such as the information on the friendship between Abgar, uh, correctly uh, uh, from Edessa. And he writes to his friend, because there's no denial historically that uh, he was a friend of Tiberius and that they did give over to correspondence. And even thinks uh, Philo, in his writings for attesting to the connection of that region, its leaders back with Tiberius and that he was actually a very close, not just a friend, but a close friend with Tiberius. Uh, he was born and grew up in Rome with Augustus's nieces and obtained the government of Egypt and a direct possession of the emperor himself and probably held good relationship with Abgar and Tiberius uh, and that their correspondence back and forth was probably legit. So here's an initial letter from Abgar to Tiberius. Notice what he says. Abgar, king of Armenia, to the Lord Tiberius, emperor of the Romans. Greeting. I know that nothing is unknown to your majesty, but as your friend, I would make you better acquainted with the facts by writing. The Jews who dwell in the cantons of the Palestine have crucified Jesus. Jesus without sin. Jesus, after so many acts of kindness, so wonders and miracles wrought for their good, even to the raising of the dead. Be assured that these are not the effects of the power of a simple mortal man, but of God. During the time that they were crucifying him, the sun was darkened. The earth was shaking. Jesus himself, three days afterwards, rose from the dead and appeared to many. Now everywhere his name alone invoked by his disciples produces the greatest miracles. What has happened to myself is the most evident proof of it. Your August majesty knows henceforth what ought to be done in future with respect to the Jewish nation, which has committed this crime. Your majesty knows whether a command should not be published through the whole universe to worship Christ as the true God, safety and health. 
safety and health to you. Now, here's something I want to point out that he makes mention of in this letter. When writing to his friend Tiberius, he recognizes at this point that Jesus not only died by the hand of the Jews, but he actually rose again from the third day and that he was not just a mortal man. It's amazing to me that he has now given this information about the resurrection. He would have learned that from Thaddeus. And he states that Thaddeus... Uh, not Thaddeus himself, but his disciples were performing similar miracles of healings and states in the letter itself that he himself is a evidence of the proof of this healing. You see, if this letter is true, something about these other letters are true or partially true, at least. See, if this letter of correspondence between Abgar and Tiberius is historically accurate, Abgar is recognizing that there is a true healing from these disciples. We have so much to go off of here. Number one, he acknowledged the historical man, Jesus, his ability to do miracles, his death and resurrection. And not only that, events at his death that are affirmed in the Gospels, earthquake, for example, was mentioned. Darkness at midday. These were affirmed by him to Tiberius that are now being stated as something he believes in that our Gospels also record. We also know that based on the book of Acts that the disciples ended up doing miracles and healings as well. And he is stating that his name, Jesus' name, is invoked upon by his disciples, producing great miracles as well, which he himself had been a partaker of. So that could be that what Eusebius reported there in the ecclesiastical church, the church, the history of the church, that these stories about him going to Edessa, Thaddeus going to Edessa and healing Abgar is accurate. He's stating this happened to him, and he's a testament to the healing power of this Jesus of Nazareth. But what's also interesting here is that he actually wants Tiberius to do something about it. He has not given up on this idea that he wants to go in and fight these Jews, and that he believes the Jews should be punished for what they did. So he's asking Tiberius to punish them. Tiberius responds. It states, Tiberius, emperor of the Romans, to Abgar, the king of the Armenians, greeting, your kind letter has been read to me, and I wish that thanks should be given to you from me. Though we had already had several persons relate these facts, Pilate has officially informed us of the miracles of Jesus. So Pilate didn't deny this. Not only did he not deny Jesus' innocency in the Gospels, Apparently, Pilate was acknowledging real miracles that had happened around this guy. And apparently, Tiberius had already had information. Like, this isn't new to him. Because Pilate had already related it. He has certified to us that after his resurrection from the dead, he was acknowledged by many to be God. So after the story of the resurrection, Tiberius is recognizing that many in that area had already affirmed Jesus himself to be God. Now, again, if these letters are true, there's a lot going on here historically. There's a lot taking place amongst the Roman leaders and those of like 
for example, Abgar of Edessa. They're in this correspondence. Now note this. Therefore, I myself also wish to do what you propose. But, as it is a custom of the Romans, not to admit a god merely by commandment of the sovereign. Now, so what's happening here? The, the Romans had no problem making anybody a god that had some level of, of special power or great influence. They deified people all the time. And it seems like Tiberius is under the impression that Abgar wants him to be acknowledged amongst the gods of the Romans. Now, that may be the case. That may be the way Tiberius is taking this. Tiberius may be taking this as a form of him requesting him to be acknowledged by even the Romans as a god, not just on the basis of the Jewish reports or of his disciples, but the fact that miracles are still happening after his death and therefore the resurrection confirming his disciples as miracles. Now, here comes an interesting point, and I've done an episode on this with a Roman leader named Romulus, the alleged resurrection of Romulus. Now, if you missed that, please go back through the podcast. You'll find where I asked the question, did the Jesus resurrection come from ancient mythology by both Greek and Roman, where there are other resurrection narratives, and Jesus just stole that one. Now, let me just say this. I do not disagree with the critics and the fact that there are, there are other resurrection narratives. And, and I don't have time in this episode to go through why I push back on why Jesus's narrative has to steal from those, why it has to correlate with those. I already did one on Romulus and showed you it's not as comparable as, as critics have made it, that Miller has made it, others like McDaniel have made it. And I'm going to continue to respond to these, so stay tuned on that, not only on this program, but I'll also be a guest on other programs with uh, Jonathan McClatchy uh, and others. We're going to be actually answering some upcoming ones. Uh, on the idea of whether or not Jesus is stealing from Osiris and Romulus and others. We are dealing with this on a weekly basis. But here's another analogy of where the critics are actually not wrong. Any deified story that is possible for Rome to adopt would be helpful. And actually, adopting Jesus into their gods would save a lot of persecuting that's unnecessary. Now, at this point, the Jews and the Romans are still at a little bit of odds. Now, the Christians have created problems for the Jews with the Romans. With Romans. The Romans are still curious about Christianity. Now, at this point, Abgar is for it and apparently has affirmed that he is one himself. But there are secret meetings happening. The skepticism is high in the Roman Empire. Eventually, by the time Abgar is dead, you, you see that the hostility that comes later by Nero. And this continues on all the way up to Trajan. But at this point, the Romans are at least acknowledging something supernatural has happened around this person. And if we can just keep peace, the way to do that is let the Christians have a legalized religion in the Roman providence. It'll solve the hostility between the Jews and the Christians and the Christians and the Jews and the Jews and the Romans. 
and the Christians and the Romans. You see, everybody can win here if Tiberius can just legalize Christianity. And that's pretty much how Tiberius is receiving this letter, that Christianity would be legalized by acknowledging Jesus as a God. Now, whether or not, and it seems like to me that Agbar or Abgar has refused the gods of Rome and has now accepted Jesus as the one true God based on what we have of his own statement and based on what has become the acknowledgement of Thaddeus with the correspondence between him and Thaddeus. But he's writing Tiberius his friend because Tiberius is, is an emperor and he wants him to legalize the worship of, of this deity that he has come to believe in and put him amongst the gods of Rome so that way it's a legal religion. Now, the Jews probably wouldn't like that as much, but they have no say-so if the Romans legalize Christianity. It really won't matter what the Jews think about it. Now, eventually Christianity does find legalization from Rome many, many years later. In fact, it's when you find Eusebius reporting the fact that Eusebius had the freedom to actually investigate the churches without any pushback, but actually funding legalization of Rome and Constantine allowed for us to have the work of Eusebius that we do. So there's good things and bad things that came from legalizing Christianity from Rome. The good things are Eusebius, the compilation the, the, the persecution of the church stopped to the level where people are being killed for their faith, sent to the lion's dens or sent to the Colosseums or crucified or burned alive. That finally came to a conclusion under the legalization of Christianity. So that, that was good from that perspective. Uh, also, you have Eusebius being able to publish and research and send out researchers to do the work that he's doing here. Also, Bibles were able to be published and produced. Eusebius was actually given orders to publish Bibles for bishops to actually have in liturgical reading for churches. So good things happen there. The bad thing is uh, it was a political move. Constantine moved a political direction to legalize it. Uh, I don't personally believe Constantine ever came to true saving faith in Jesus. I think it was a political agenda. I think it was some sort of connection uh, to Christianity I think he saw value in it. I think he saw goodness in it, but I don't ever believe Constantine himself came to it. And he waited till his deathbed to be, to be baptized for that matter, uh, because he had fallen into uh, the same belief system that unfortunately Tertullian ended up falling into. And that is if you sin willingly or willfully after baptism, uh, then you have no more opportunity of remission of sin. Uh, they misinterpret the writing of Hebrews and when it talks about no more sacrifice for sin, they misinterpret that. Uh, and so Constantine came into that sect of Christianity and waited until his deathbed to finally get baptism. Uh, I just, I don't know about Constantine. God knows, but boy, that was a lot of politics involved in Christianity. And it created a church and state union, which created a lot of unnecessary moves throughout history that I think were really a downfall and brought contamination and toxicity into the church, especially in Rome. Uh, bad tradition came from that marriage of pagan religion into Christianity uh, exalted and showed itself at times. I think it was a bad move from that standpoint. By, Ty 
But Tiberius here is actually stating that he too would just like to legalize this thing. It'll save him from dealing with more problems that way. But here's what he said. I myself wish to do what you propose. But as it is a custom of the Romans not to admit a God merely by the commandment of the sovereign, being himself, but only with the admission that has been discussed and examined in the full Senate. So the Senate actually has to approve deifying somebody as legalization of worship. Now, they were pretty loose on this. The Romans were very loose. I mean, they had multiple gods. They had no problem worshiping multiple gods. Even when uh, Paul went over to Athens, <laughs> they had all these monuments of these different gods. And, and you know, in, in the book of Acts, he gets to the one where it says, to the unknown God. He's like, oh, perfect. Let's talk about that one. So they were very superstitious people. <clears throat> they had multiple gods that they acknowledged. So he states, I proposed the affair to the Senate. And they rejected it with content, doubtless because it had not been considered by them first. Now, so what Tiberius is saying back to Abgar is that, hey, I even proposed to legalize Christianity. Or, look, man, I'm on your time. I'm on your your team here, buddy. I'm on your side. I wanted to do this. I actually tried to push it through the Senate, and they pushed back with contempt. Probably because it was not their idea. What he's saying. But we have commanded all those who uh, Jesus suits to receive him amongst the gods. We have threatened with death one who shall speak evil of Christians. As to the Jewish nation, which had already dared to crucify Jesus, who, as I hear, far from deserving the cross and death, was worthy of honor, worthy of the adoration of men. When I am free from the war of the rebellion of Spain, I will examine this matter further and will treat the Jews as they deserve. Now, this ends up actually happening to a level. The Jews actually were given hostile treatment from the Jew, I mean, from the Romans. And obviously, we know by 70 AD, uh, Titus went in and, and ransacked the temple. So now, here's a reality that's in this as well. So he's saying that, you know, this Jewish Jesus guy that they crucified, I hear he didn't even deserve the death penalty that he got. Uh, he was actually worthy of honor and adoration. Maybe he learned that from Pilate because he said he already had talked to Pilate about Jesus on behalf of this situation before. But not the Jews. So he obviously doesn't have much care for the Jews himself here. And then the fact that they went out and did that, he has bigger issues with them. But he also is preoccupied in this letter with dealing with a rebellion and a rebellious state of, of Spain. And he's in the middle of war. And he's in the middle of dealing with other problems. And he basically says, I'll check into this later. Now, by this point, to, this Tiberius, the emperor of Rome, ended up dying uh, not too far from this. And then we, again, Nero, and then you have all these problems that come, just a mass amount of problems come to the Jewish people. They lose their temple. People later say that they was well-deserved. They got what they deserved. Uh, this was karma, if you would, or or really, as we probably believe, a divine judgment of God for what they did and eliminating the temple and the worship to this day, being without the Levitical priesthood, to this day, being without the sacrifices that are being done in the temple, to this day, they have no atonement. And so whatever was done back then was permanent. And I think the Jewish nation should consider that. 
But when it comes to this correspondence, what we see is if these letters are true, then what Eusebius is reporting is true, that one of Jesus's disciples actually healed him. And he wants to affirm to Tiberius that this Jesus guy should be deified. And his Christian, the Christianity that his disciples are producing should be legalized. If that is true, then what Eusebius is reporting is true. And if that is true, then it's very possible that what was sent to Jesus was a real letter and Jesus responded back in a real letter. So you say, well, Stephen, wh where are you at on this? You're, 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 you're sounding like you agree that it's existed. Here's what I say. As I said at the beginning of this program, I do not believe we can be dogmatically against it. I do not believe we can say, absolutely not, this is ridiculous. But I will also say, I do not believe we can dismiss or really just agree with it and say, yeah, 100%, that was Jesus. That was him. Those are his words to Avgar of Edessa. Hmm. I, I, it's possible. It's possible. To me, the seller is not the manuscripts found in the archives of Edessa. To me, the manuscripts obviously exist. There's an early account of this transmitting of letters back and forth. We have other attestation. We have an Armenian translation. We have two Greek, one Syrian. Fine. I, I can accept that. We also have in the testimony that this was found and read by Egeria, a Christian woman who was on her mission to the Holy Land. And around 380 or so, she reported that she read this letter and she too also had a copy of this back at her home, but her copy was not as full or filled out with details as the one she read in Edessa. So the letter is legit. There is a letter. Whether or not it actually goes back to Avgar and Jesus is another thing. It could be that the story of Thaddeus and, and, and Avgar is real. Because if these letters to Tiberius, this correspondence is real, then he really did get healed by one of the disciples of Jesus. And Eusebius is reporting a true story. But if that is true, then also that would lead us to believe that Jesus wrote him or had written to him something stating, I'll send a disciple to heal you. And he benefited from that and came to believe it to be true. So I do not believe we can dogmatically say, absolutely, Jesus wrote that epistle what we have reported. But I also don't think we can absolutely dismiss it. I think it is possible. And at this point of eternity, I think that we will always have to leave it in the realm of possibility. But I would not dismiss it entirely at all. I, I think it's plausible. I think we have other works surrounding it that would work. I believe if we can confirm Tiberius's correspondence with Abgar to be legit, that it brings much more validity to Jesus have written him a letter. I really, I really think that. So this is a unique episode. Jesus's epistle to Abgar of Edessa. And it's very possible that it happened. 
But it is something to keep in the back of your mind as you continue to study history. These are things that were found in the archives of the Church of Edessa. And if you're studying church history and you're studying the earliest attestation of the apostles, this is something that needs to be noted because it is a record in history. It is reported by the church historian Eusebius. It is affirmed as also being a letter by other Christians who traveled and found it and reported about her findings like Agiria and that she had also seen this letter. So it is a historical document of the church that we need to know about. So if you didn't know about it, you're welcome. This is your first episode of getting to learn about it, that there is a potential writing that is out there copied from what Jesus sent to a king in Edessa named Abgar. Thank you for tuning in. I hope this was informative, if anything at all. Again, if you want to find more out about us and our ministry, for, and this is the first time you're listening, there'll be a link to explorechristianity.net. And uh, again, if you want to give and donate toward our ministry and what we're doing, putting out episodes and content, YouTubes and debates with atheists and skeptics and other uh, realms of faith that we do on a regular uh, basis, and you want to learn more about that and see some of those debates, see some of those engagements that we have done in the past, please feel free to do that. We'd love for you to check us out and donate to us if possible, uh, or also just continue to share our content. That means a lot to us as well. Thanks again for tuning in on this special program. Grace and peace to you.